The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick. On this episode of the Heat Check, the trade deadline has come. The trade deadline has gone. And I am here to break down everything that I think that happened that was important from Kyrie and KD getting moved at the deadline to the most underrated trades that have happened. And that all happens on a pretty underwhelming deadline day. I also get into the looming buyout market just a tad, talking about some news around the league, including an interesting update on Zion course and another nft lawsuit involving chef curry we get into that scandal as well lots of popping so do me a favor nick and drop that generic ass beat let's talk about this trade deadline baby i have some thoughts first of all let me begin by saying this is it just me or was this year's trade deadline not only the most dramatic trade deadline we've ever seen, but also the least dramatic trade deadline we've ever seen? Is it just me? Because, man, it was like, boom, pow, and then, like, nothing, right? It was like Kyrie, KD, Russell Westbrook, and then Luke Kennard, you know? (laughs) It was like, you're like, oh, yeah, this trade deadline's going to be fucking lit. And then you're like, oh, Reggie Jackson, okay. Oh, oh. My guy, Matisse Thibel. Oh, okay. Like when James Wiseman is one of the more impactful trade deadline moves at the deadline, which ended up being scandalous, by the way. There's this craziness uh, in that four-team trade. But when you've got names like James Wiseman and Matisse Thibel and Reggie Jackson and a bunch of, I would consider them to be role players getting moved, after what we got was the main course. You don't give us Brussels sprouts after the steak. You don't do that because it's very disappointing. We don't get dessert and steak and lobster. And then it's like, oh, yeah, also we have the Caesar salad for you. Like, no, that's not how that's that, That's what Luke Kennard was. So Kyrie obviously demands the trade. I was in Arizona, could not really record as much as I wanted to, but he set everything into overdrive, right? It was like, oh, my God, Kyrie's doing it. 
where there's no time left on the clock. They have to move him. Where will he go? Will it be the Lakers? It will not be the Lakers. No one wants Russell Westbrook at this moment. 72 hours later, he is in Dallas. And people are like, okay, so that move happens. No way Kevin Durant gets traded, right? Like, no way. There's not enough time. There's too many suitors. There's too much complexity. And enter my guy, who I am calling Big Balls, Matt Ishbia, with one T. Matt with one T. Newly minted owner of the Phoenix Suns. And he comes in and says, fuck it. We'll do this deal. So Kevin Durant, I don't know if you guys know this, had only one destination in mind. It was only Phoenix. It was Phoenix and only Phoenix the entire time. Comes to the front office and says, look, guys, I'm exhausted. I am happy to find a way to get excited about these new guys. And I'm willing to stick it out this year. But at the end of this year, can you guys just get me to Phoenix? Can you guys figure it out? Can you figure a way to make something happen? And so then... They figure out maybe, just maybe, if we keep this on the DL, extra D and extra L, then maybe we get this thing done by the deadline, right? And Matt Ishbia, I don't know if you know this, friends with Josiah. They've had each other's phone numbers. Matt Ishbia came to a bunch of Nets games really to just kind of see what it's like to own a team. And the deal that James Jones turned down because Mikael Bridges was in that deal and Cam Johnson was in that deal and a bunch of unprotected firsts were in that deal, finally just said, you know what, man, what do you think, Matt? And Matt was like, okay, what's the luxury tax? And they're like, this is going to put us bad in the luxury tax. We're going to get like $40 million in the luxury tax. And our man Robert Sarver, the scumbag that he is, the cheap scumbag he is, I think he had only gone to the luxury tax for a combined $17 million through the entire course of his ownership. So $40 million for Kevin Durant in the luxury tax, everybody's like, oh, my God, what's Ishbia going to say? And he was like, do it. <laughs> Do it right now. Let's go. Absolutely. And then they were like, also, I know that we said we wanted Cam Johnson and we wanted Mikhail and we wanted four first round unprotected, but like, and we know that we said that was a deal, but we also kind of want Jay Crowder too. And they're like, that's enough. We're not doing the deal. See you later. And then Matt Ishbia goes to a meeting and he's sitting there and he's thinking about trading for John Collins, right? And that was the other deal that they had on the plate. Can we get John Collins? John Collins, nice player. He's been on the trade block for four or five years now. And he's like, man, Matt Ishbian knows what it's like to see the property. Because he's a mortgage guy. See your dream home and, like, balk at the price. You go to the next house and you're like, just don't like the bathroom. Mm. Closet, kind of tiny. This guy, John Collins, he happens to not be anywhere close to Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant would move the needle. And so he calls up his fam, calls up James Jones. He says, you know what? I don't care that it's 1 in the morning, East Coast Standard Time. <coughs> Let's do the deal. So they hit up Joe Sy, They hit up Sean Marks. And they're already driving away from the arena because they think the deal's dead. And then they go, skeet skirt. They hit a little U-turn. They're like, let's do this thing. And at the crack of dawn, 1.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Kevin Durant to the Suns. Done deal. Holy shit. So why, though, the question is, why? Why does Kevin Durant only want to go to the Suns? Why was that the only place he wanted to go? 
I have answers. First and foremost, Kevin Durant loves some Devin Booker. Loves him. Apparently that relationship was a key piece of that move. All the way back to when he first got into the league, he told Ben Simmons in 2017 this. We called Devin Booker. We wanted Devin Booker in OKC. What? I wanted him. I love Book. He loves the game. He's a dog. He'll rough you up. He'll get into you. You better watch up for that boy because he's next. In 2017, he came out and said, Devin Booker is the next guy. He's the dog. I'm telling you, it's him. They also then bonded during the Olympics when they played in Tokyo. Remember, it was like lockdown. You had no ability to see Tokyo. You had no ability to do anything but to go to the events that you were regulated to do. So him and Devin Booker were like peas and carrots, like white on rice. Got very, very close. Started saying to each other, what would it be like to play with each other in the NBA? Number two, he loves Monty Williams. Monty Williams, to him, is one of the best coaches in the NBA. Got to know him as an assistant for OKC. Monty Williams was an assistant when Kevin Durant was playing for the Thunder. Also was an assistant coach for Team USA. Kevin Durant thinks he's a leader, thinks he's a good teacher. And he says, I'm excited that he's back into coaching and walking these sidelines again. I got to know the type of man he was. His coaching style is what it is because of the stuff that he's been through as a person and how he looks at life in general. So really good friends with the marquee star, really close with the coach and has a relationship with him. And then what about him and Chris Paul? Chris Paul and KD played together in 2012 for Team USA as well. They bonded in that moment. And in 2020, Kevin Durant defended Chris Paul as a Hall of Famer, saying that he was already a Hall of Famer, even if he never won a championship. Of course, he does go at it with Chris Paul's older brother, because who doesn't? And so then... Kevin Durant becomes a son, and we're thinking, oh boy, we are off to the races. What else is going to happen? Where's Pascal going to go? Where's OG going to go? Where's Fred going to go? And then the rest of the deadline, let's be honest, was fucking terrible. It was trash. It wasn't exactly what we were hoping for. We were two days short of the deadline, and everybody was like, man, what's it going to be? And then you get there, and it's like very disappointing. What happened with OG? What happened with Pascal? What happened with Chris Middleton, who was in the news, that he might get moved? John Collins was in the news that he was, I mean, when is he not? John Collins was in the news that he would get moved. So not a single star outside of Kevin Durant was after the Kevin Durant trade happened. After he broke the internet while you slept, nothing happened ever since. So let's talk about because you've probably Googled every trade under the sun. I'm not going to recap them all for you. Let's talk about the biggest winners at the deadline. I've got top three. Number number three. Let's start from three to one. Number three, the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah. Yeah, I said it. The Lakers got something interesting brewing. I hate it for them. I hate it. I do. This team's now better than they have been in a long time. They are deep. They have so much more shooters than they had before in a long time. They went from being one of the oldest teams in the NBA. I think everybody was about to get ready for their AARP card, and now there's not a player other than LeBron older than 29 on this squad. So they got very young. D'Angelo Russell, who we know has already played for the Lakers, he is a true point guard who can shoot. He can shoot from deep very easily. He's very much an upgrade over Russell Westbrook in that fashion. Jared Vanderbilt, really good young player. He can defend. You get Malik Beasley, who can fill it up. And Mo Bamba. So they get him, too. 
And not to mention, they already had Rui Hachimura, who they traded for like many weeks before the deadline. Very, very interesting. Number three, Los Angeles Lakers. Number two, number two winner at the deadline, the Los Angeles Clippers. This is like the sneaky team flying under the radar. Nobody's talking about them. Nobody's talking about how good their trade deadline was. You get Bones Highland, who is not only a an elite scorer, but he can play make as well. He even came out and said, listen, guys, I can play the true point guard. You didn't need Fred Van Fleet. You got me now. Step aside, homies. Step aside, Reggie Jackson. I got this. Kawhi can bring the ball up. Paul George can bring the ball up. And I can bring the ball up. So you do that. You got that. Very interesting. And you didn't really have to pay much for him. You didn't actually have to pay anything for him. You also get Mason Plumley, a very elite passing big. He's not an elite big, but he's elite at passing, if you know what I'm saying. And you get Eric Gordon for nothing. You actually got three second-round picks for him so you could take up his contract. He can shoot threes. He can defend a little bit. And by golly, he's already been a Clipper before, so you know it's probably going to be fine. The Clippers got so much better as a result of this trade deadline season. And number one, you know what time it is. Best, biggest winner at the deadline is the Phoenix Suns. What? They got fucking Kevin Durant. That's it. You don't even, I don't even need to say anything else. You become the instant title favorites. The starting five is ridiculous. Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker. My God. Like, just those three. Aiton, you didn't even have to give up Aiton. That's four. You saw it, guys, in and out, and things get really interesting. Congrats, Phoenix. You won the lottery. Franchise-altering trade. So let's talk more now about some of the my favorite underrated moves. Top five underrated moves at the deadline. Maybe more than five, but these are my favorites. Luke Kennard. Yeah, Luke Kennard, who I think is overpaid, but him to the Memphis Grizzlies in a three-way trade is really, really interesting. He's going to be a great three-point shooter. We know he can fill it up. We know he can space the floor, and he gives them a little bit of depth that they didn't have before. And by golly, if I could see anybody else besides Dylan Brooks and John Morant shoot threes, I know they have Desmond Bain. I know they have Jaron Jackson. But let's be honest, perimeter shooting is not their forte. And now they got a guy who can really shoot. Jay Crowder, number two. Jay Crowder, underrated move as well. He gives a little dog to the Milwaukee Bucks that they haven't had since P.J. Tucker. They missed that. He went to South Beach, and all of a sudden, the toughness level decreased. Number three. Mike Muscala to the Celtics. Yes, I said it. Mike Muscala, big man, stretches the floor, helps this team with his length. He can shoot. They're calling him a sniper. I think he's going to end up becoming a very key piece in the championship run that they're trying to make. There's going to be a time where he has five threes or he ends up having a huge scoring game or block somebody, just a key piece of the game that ended up altering the outcome so that they could get a win. Mike Conley to the Wolves, number two. This is very interesting. Probably the biggest trade next to KD and Kyrie in the three-way between the Wolves, Lakers, and Jazz. So you now finally get a playmaking point guard who isn't D'Lo. D'Lo is not a playmaking point guard. We know that. D'Lo is a chucker. D'Lo is a gunner. Mike Conley likes to set you up, likes to get you the spacing right on the floor, likes to put Ant Edwards where he wants to go. Mike Conley to the Wolves is going to propel them from a team that might not make the play-in at all to a team that might be dangerous to get out of the first round, which I think is very, very interesting. And number one, because 
You know how much I love my dubs. Number one most underrated signing in this trade deadline is GP2 to the Warriors. GP2 with Draymond Green, elite defensive combo. Opens up Draymond to play the five. Plays really good defense at the point of attack, which is something that Steph Curry has not been great at. He's gotten a lot better at. Klay Thompson obviously has lost a step defensively, so you need GP2. If that man can get healthy by the playoffs, if the Warriors even get in the playoffs, but I'm not going to say that, then that's going to be something critical to their success. They wanted to keep him. They weren't able to keep him. And now they ship out James Wiseman, and they get their guy GP2 back. Let's also look at some teams that failed at the trade deadline. Biggest failures at the trade deadline. Number one biggest failure to me, most puzzling, is the Toronto Raptors. How do you go into the trade deadline and say you're going to move everybody and move nobody? How are you going to go into the trade deadline and say you're going to be sellers and then actually be buyers? How is that happening? You were, you were in the market to sell everybody. It was like, okay, we're going to move Fred Van Fleet. Gary trade, uh, Trent Jr. is on the trade block. OG Ananobi, he's available for sale. Pascal Siakam, he's available for sale. It was only Scotty Barnes who was ungettable. And what did you do? You picked up Jakob Pertl, who you already had once before. What's going on? Guys, what's going on there? Did you just not get the price that you wanted for him? There's guys that are now on an expiring, like Fred Van Fleet. What are you going to do with him? You're just going to lose him for nothing? I don't understand what they're doing. Number two on this list, most disappointing teams at the trade deadline. The Bulls. What you doing, baby? What you doing? Another team. Everybody thought you were going to do something. Are you going to move Crusoe? Are you going to move DeRozan? Are you going to move Levine? Are you going to move Vooch? No. No, we're not doing any of that. No, we're not. We're not getting anybody. We're not getting anybody. We're not selling anybody. Yeah, we know you want Alex Crusoe. Yeah, maybe we wanted somebody in return. But you know what we're going to do? Absolutely fucking nothing. We're just going to be frustrating as all get out. And number three, our kings, you know. It stinks. I wanted this team to get Mason Plumley. I did. I thought that was a done deal. I thought that was something that we had basically been talking about all season. They need a backup big. They need a backup big. The non-Sabonis minutes are brutal. But surely Rashawn Holmes in a second rounder would have gotten the deal done, you would think, when the Clippers got Mason Plumley for Reggie Jackson in a second-round pick. But maybe there's some sort of relationship there between our guy, Jerry West, and Mitch Kupchak, who has worked for Jerry West in the past, and so that deal gets done because of the relationship alone. I think that's the only reason that happens. So the trade deadline has come and gone. I don't really know what to make of it, honestly. I don't know who's going to be good. I don't know who's going to be bad. But I do know we're going to be talking about these seismic changes for the rest of the season and beyond. The aftermath is there's probably not going to be many roster changes going forward, right, outside of these little jankety, little raggedy buyouts. Like, is John Wall going to get bought out? Who knows? Russell Westbrook going to get bought out? Who knows? I'm not going to deal with that. Like, I'm not going to be staking my episodes on where Will Barton ends up. I'm not going to be staking my episodes on where T. Ross, no shade to T. Ross or Will Barton, uh, where they go, which I do think T. Ross goes to the Dallas Mavericks, and I do think Will Barton ends up probably back in Portland because they like him. But that's something for another day. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So I want to talk about really quickly the deepest teams. Who are now the deepest teams in the NBA as a result of this trade deadline. I have five. I thought I was going to do three, and what I ended up at was five because teams got really, really deep. Not all of them are contenders now, so don't quote me on that. But these are the top five deepest teams right now in the league. We'll start at five. We'll go to one. Number five, top deepest team now in the league after the deadline, Philadelphia 76ers. Ooh. You said what? Yes, Harden, Maxi, DeAnthony Melton, Cork Moss, who, by the way, demanded a trade, did not get traded, <laughs> Tobias Harris, Jalen McDaniels, who they got at the deadline, P.J. Tucker, George Nang, Joel Embiid, Montrez Harrell, and now Dwayne Dedman. Dwayne Dedman is now their backup backup center because they have, obviously, uh, our, our man uh, Montrez Harrell as well. So they have 11 players that you could legitimately see playing on a night-to-night basis number four the LA Clippers they're running 11 deep as well Terrence Mann he's gonna run the point Bones Highland backup point Norm Powell Paul George Eric Gordon Kawhi Leonard Marcus Morris Batum these are real deal players Rocco Zubak Plumley. these are good players these are really good players Number three deepest team in the league right now. This is this is gonna be fascinating. I don't know if you're gonna I don't know if you're gonna like agree or if it's gonna be surprising. But this team has 13 players that they can roll out. Throw the ball out with any one of those seven, and you could get games won. The Brooklyn freaking Nets. Brooklyn Nets subtracted KD and Kyrie, and now they are the third best deep team in the league. Check out this roster. You got Ben Simmons when he plays, Spencer Dinwiddie, Patty Mills, Edmund Sumner, Seth Curry, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Thomas, Cam Johnson, Joe Harris, Royce O'Neal, Utah Watanabe, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Nick Claxton. Shut the fuck up. What? 13 deep? 
Come on now. Number two, deepest roster on this league after the trade deadline. The L.A. Lakers. Yeah. Yeah, they are really deep. They is shocking. I looked at their new roster. I discovered that LeBron, like I said, is the only player over 30. But you've got D'Angelo Russell, Dennis Schroeder, Austin Reeves, Malik Beasley, Lonnie Walker, Rui Hachimura, Jared Vanderbilt, LeBron, A.D., and Mo Bamba. I know that's less than 13. I just think the caliber with A.D., LeBron, and a bunch of depth is even more deep than deep. You know what I'm saying? Number one deepest team in the league now because they didn't trade guys that we thought that they might, and they added some, is the Boston Celtics. Number one deep team in the league right now. 11 players are going to get minutes. You got Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White, and Pritchard all at the guard spot. Tatum Brown, Sam Hauser, Horford, Grant Williams at forward. And now you got Mike Muscala joining Time Lord and Blake Griffin at center. That is 11 dudes that could significantly get minutes. Boy, oh boy, is this fun. So with that, obviously, you can't always get a chip from that, but it doesn't hurt. You're going to be able to survive injuries. You're going to be better as a result. And I think at least four of these teams could make some real noise in the playoffs. Moving on. With the trade deadline now in the past, we got to talk about the buyout market. Such a very weird trade deadline, like I said. But it makes buyouts even more important for teams that did not alter their roster enough moving forward. There's already been a couple of buyouts as well right now. And signings, you got Reggie Jackson, who went from the Clippers to the Hornets. He gets bought out, and now he signs with the Nuggets, which I think is hilarious because the Clippers got Bones Highland and the Nuggets got Reggie Jackson. I think the Nuggets are going to be less impressed with Reggie Jackson than they were Bones Highland. If you thought it was tough to navigate Jamal Murray and Bones, let me introduce you to Mr. October, Reggie Jackson. Let me introduce you to the man who has a heat check 24-7, seven days a week. Love Reggie, but I don't know if you're going to get anything more out of him than you were Bones Highland. Maybe cheaper, maybe more equipped to fit in and slot in, but boy, oh boy, do I not know if I like that move. Terrence Ross was waived by the Magic alongside Beverly. Terrence Ross... Has signed with the Suns? Is that true? Wow. That's incredible. I I didn't even know that. Here is a list, though, of the most important buyout targets. Russell Westbrook. He is now rumored to go to Chicago or the Clippers after he's bought out by the Jazz. I think he should go to Chicago. Let him languish there. Let him ball out. Sell jerseys. Nobody wants to see him in L.A. Nobody. It's just I know Paul George is trying to make it happen. I don't think this front office does, does want it to happen. Stop, Paul George. It's okay. Just let him languish alone. John Wall, he's going to be bought out most likely. And, like, separately, is he the only player ever in history to be bought out by the same team twice? Like, in two years? Got bought out by the Rockets, went to the Clippers, signed a new deal, and got sent to the Rockets, and is about to get bought out again. Crazy. Patrick Beverly sent to the Magic. They waived him. He's going to sign with another team. Not surprisingly, the Clippers are back on that ra- radar as well, which would make this reunion tour even more sweet. Like All these players just going back to their old teams. I don't understand it. That's why I think Will Barton's going back to Portland, because why the fuck not? Why not? Gary Payton goes back. Uh, Jakob Pertle goes back. Uh, Eric Gordon goes back. I mean, this is, like, so insane. Dario Sarch looks like he's going to get bought out as well. 
he was playing really well. I think that it was very surprising that he got dumped to the Thunder. I'm not sure if the OKC Thunder are going to buy him out. It is unknown. But whoever ends up, you know, if he's out on the market, there's going to be a dozen teams probably trying to go get him. Like I said, well, the thrill. Some people think he's like one of the most talented players on the potential buyout market. This man doesn't play any defense. He doesn't. Like, I love Will. He is a bucket. Uh, I'm sure he'll be some great scorer from some team. But I'm telling you, the Mavs don't want him. Maybe the Suns do. It's going to be very interesting. Serge Ibaka got bought out by the Suns, uh, by the Bucks, excuse me. And the Sixers are now said to be kicking the tires uh, on him. I thought he got picked up, though. Maybe not. I'm not an expert. I'm just just a commenter. Uh, there are some other players rumored to be bought out or waived before the March 1st deadline, like Derrick Rose, which would be fascinating, Nerlens Noel, Detroit, Justin Holiday, and maybe, possibly, even Kevin Love. Kevin Love on the buyout market. God, we've been talking about that for two years. And now there's teams getting caught holding the bag at the deadline. Buyouts this year are probably more important than ever. There are teams desperate to upgrade out west. I mean, despite the seismic changes that we have on the rosters in the east where 13 teams are still in contention. So it's going to be fascinating to see what goes down. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Moving on. So we got to talk about my Portland Trailblazers. <laughs> hey, baby, you're in trouble. Hey, uh, what'd you do? Something's up. So they get caught in this four-team trade that got certified by the league yesterday. So technically the trade deadline only ended Monday uh, because the Warriors decided that even though there was some sort of skullduggery, some, I don't know what else to call it except for uh, concealment. I don't want to call it outright lying, but... The Warriors are very mad that Gary Payton is damaged and that he might be out a few weeks, maybe months. And Portland's been playing him significant minutes uh, right before the deadline. So instead of blowing up the entire deal and ruining the day for 15% of the league, Warriors decided to keep Gary Payton the second. So the 14 deal is as follows. Blazers get Kevin Knox from Detroit and five second-round picks. It's a lot. Five second-round picks from Golden State. Warriors get GP2 and two second-round picks from Atlanta. Pistons get James Wiseman from the Warriors. Hawks get Sadiq Bey from the Pistons via Golden State Warriors. 
Very complicated trade. But what was lost on all of this is that the entire deal centered and hinged around Gary Payton passing his physical. Very Carlos Correa vibes. He did not pass that physical. So then things got crazy. The universe undefeated. Chaos. Anger. Internal investigations launched. All kinds of stuff happening because the way that the Blazers did or did not disclose uh, the Gary Payton injury to the Warriors, who, by the way, had him last year, and he had that core injury with them last year. So the fact that they thought he was all good, kind of strange. Anyway, Payton's been dealing with that core injury all year and even last year. He had surgery in September of, of 2021. Rumors are that he's been unhappy uh, in Portland. I don't understand why. I can't really get to the bottom of it. He's been injured pretty much most of the year. He's not going to get a ton of minutes. And Portland's not winning games. So maybe that's why. Maybe it's the lack of melanin in the city of Portland. Not sure. Or the lack of sunshine in the city of Portland. But the Warriors medical staff inspected Peyton, and they were very mad that Portland uh, felt, they felt like they duped him. So then, because the Blazers didn't disclose to the Warriors that he had been given Toradol, which is like an NSID. It's not like a... People don't understand. Tordal is not a steroid. It is a an anti-inflammatory. But there's all this like rigmarole, as my grandma would say, because Aaron Goodwin, Gary Payton's agent, came out and said, no, Gary Payton's not been taking Tordal. No Tordal shots for Gary Payton. Turns out Gary Payton, he's right, did not take any Tordal shots. He took his Tordal through the mouth. So... Little, like, sus in terms of him avoiding the question, making it seem like he never took Tordal when he knew that his client had, but we'll keep it moving, right? Turns out Goodwin's technically correct, but also that's shady, right? That's very shady. The trade was on the brink of blowing up. It would have sent all these disgruntled players back home to their original location. Could you imagine James Wiseman after getting shipped out having to go back to the Santa Cruz Warriors? Get out of here. You think Sadiq Bey wants to go back to Detroit? No. You think Gary Payton, after blowing up the franchise, saying how unhappy he was, how they were forcing him to play, hopped up on Tordal, wants to go back to Portland? No shot. So the trade goes down. I have questions. Specifically, why Aaron Goodwin would lie to protect the Blazers. I put my detective hat on. I broke it down. One thing I have to say about Goodwin, he's got to be a team player because Aaron Goodwin... Aaron Good also represents Dame Lillard. Dame Lillard, Portland Trailblazer, marquee star, making $60 million a year. So Aaron Goodwin protecting the Blazers and thus Dame. Helping Dame clear a runway or at least not put additional, uh, like additional roadblocks up for Dame to try to get some additional players on this whack-ass team. That would be why he would do this. Do not say that Portland is making their players who are injured a play on Tordal. Do not say that you're uh, hiding in information that is critical to the health and wellness of said players. Players will not like that. Players are already struggled to go to Portland. Aaron Goodwin did what is in his one client's best interest and maybe not the others. I know a little something about that. All four teams involved in this trade have narratives surrounding them this year. All the NBA misfits got together. They shifted around each other's problems like a game of hot potato. Pistons, they solved their Sadiq Bay issue by shipping him out. They were not going to sign him to his rookie extension. He wanted to get paid. 
Blazers get Matisse Thybul, so they get younger, cheaper, longer. They don't have to deal with Gary Payton, who's been struggling with his core injury, and they didn't know when he was going to be fully healthy. Hawks get Sadiq Bey for reasons that are unknown. I don't understand it. I'm not sure what they want with him. I'm not sure if there's going to be some future move happening in the in forthcoming months after in the offseason, but the last thing that the Hawks need is another guy who just shoots three and doesn't play defense. Golden State ships out their number two overall pick, and that finally means that we can trustfully say James Wiseman, Wiseman was never going to work in Golden State. Never. The big news, though, for the Dubs is that means, like I said, the Wiseman experiment is over. We're going to deal with that more in a later episode. But for now, Joe Lake sending Wiseman packing means it is now win-now mode for Golden State. Wiseman was set to cost the Warriors $131 million in salary and luxury tax the next two years. So the question is, why does that matter? Well, the reason it matters is because the Warriors have never been shy of paying additional luxury tax dollars when they thought that was going to help them compete. Remember, they signed Kelly Oubre to a deal. Kelly Oubre, who is horrible, was costing the Golden State Warriors like $67 million in luxury tax and salary combined. So now what does that mean for the Dubs? That means the Dubs are not trying to spend unnecessarily for players who are not going to help them. World champs are no longer going to operate like money is water. Dumping Wiseman was a message that the gravy train is about to end. This roster may, I actually believe this. My prediction is that the Warriors retool, rebuild, completely reshuffle the roster next season. There are players who are marquee guys who are on the Warriors right now who will not be on the Warriors next year. Is that Draymond? Probably. Is that Clay? Probably not. Is that Poole? Maybe. It might be a fire sale to get whatever key pieces that they need in order to get a championship happening now. Is Steve Kerr back next year? Is Bob Myers back next year? All of that, something to monitor. And I have a question for those who are my fellow Dubs fans. If you had the decision to make, and you could only keep either Andrew Wiggins or Jordan Poole, who would it be? Because I don't see both being in the long-term future of the Golden State Warriors. And if it was me, I would choose Andrew Wiggins, despite him being very much on the downturn this year after getting paid. The Warriors have a third of a season left. The earliest they're going to get back, GP2, is right before playoffs, and that is if he doesn't have another setback, which, again, core injuries are really tough. Blazers, I think, are the only team in this four-team trade that came out doing well. So there's another class action suit happening uh, concerning NFTs, and it's making its way to the NBA. And it's involving a bunch of celebrities in the NBA, including babyface assassin himself, Steph Curry. And it's probably going to mark the beginning of a whole other set of lawsuits headed towards anyone in the NBA who ever promoted NFTs and or crypto, i.e. Crypto.com Arena, a.k.a. NFTs being your jersey patch, a.k.a. NFT bobblenut head night. If you are involved, you are maybe in the scope lens. Lawsuit, Real and Titcher versus Yuga Labs. This is the new news. Names a bunch of celebrities 
in this lawsuit from Jimmy Fallon to Kevin Hart to Serena Williams to our, our very own Steph Curry. And for the first time, peels back the curtain on how all these rich and famous folks got pulled into what is now very obviously in hindsight a scam. Very obviously in hindsight, borderline Ponzi scheme. Very borderline Madoff vibes. So I'm not uh, someone who ever got into NFTs because I don't buy things I don't understand. And I did not understand them. I still don't understand them. But this is what I know about them. And NFT, here we go. You're going to say, well, you're such a millennial. Yes. If you're a millennial too and you're listening to this podcast, we're going to break it down for y'all. Because the Gen Zs, they probably already have this in their head. NFT or a non-fungible token. That's where you lost me. Can't touch it. Can't grab it. Non-fungible token. A type of, a new type of digital asset secured by cryptography. That should tell you everything you know. Shit's shady, right? NFTs can represent anything. Anything. They can represent anything. From gold to silver to digital items like music or photos or art, even tweets. You could buy an NFT of someone's tweet and you own that NFT tweet. What the fuck does it? Who cares? We move on. Entered the Bored Ape Yacht Club, which was a real thing. That's not a, those are not a collection of words I just made up. They have imploded spectacularly from a $4 billion valuation to now, as we sit here today, worthless valuation. Worthless. Justin Bieber said he purchased uh, the Bored Ape NFT in January 2021 for $1.31 million, and it is currently worth 69000 Nice. Which is a decreased 95% value. Good thing he's Justin Bieber and he can just make more music. That is rough. The lawsuit states the two things, though, that are worth mentioning, and neither are good for Steph Curry. Number one, it says celebrities like Steph use their status to fool the public. That's not good. To fool the public into investing into bored apes and other NFTs. The fact that it was a scam probably doesn't help at all. Secondly, and probably more damaging, a forensic analysis of the blockchain, also words that I did not make up, shows that these celebrities did not actually use any of their own money, but were transferred crypto to make the expensive buys that they were promoting. So they got the stuff for free, and they promoted it like they were actually investing in it. According to the investigative report on CNN, hours before Justin Bieber bought an ape for the bought an ape for the equivalent of 1.3 million. Bieber received Ethereum worth another type of crypto worth around 2.5 million in his crypto wallet. The blockchain shows. Is anyone else confused? Shit's crazy. What does this even mean? Curry and other celebrities named in this lawsuit didn't even spend their own money on the NFTs despite saying they were doing so, and they were hyping up these types of NFTs like the bored apes on social media. I would say, if I had to guess, 
if I'm Steph Curry, I'd be worried. I'd be a little concerned. We are going to look back on this whole NFT thing and crypto thing as one of the most bizarre potential financial scams in history. All this reminds me of that saying my grandma used to say, a money, uh, no, a fool and his money <laughs> are soon parted, especially when that fool is being hyped up by a guy like Wardell, Stephen Curry. All right, let's move on. We got our latest update on uh, on Zion. Yeah, folks, it's not good. It's not good. Um, so Zion was playing three-on-three three recently and re-injured his hamstring, his hammy. And now his return has been further extended. Today it was announced he would miss, quote, several weeks after the All-Star game. He hurt his hamstring against the Sixers on January 2nd, and he's been out ever since. The Pelicans, as we know, have struggled without him. They've fallen in from second in the West to seventh in the West. They are only one game over 500 right now. They are 6-14 and 14 since Zion went down. They have including a 10-game losing streak, which is very brutal. Zion was very good in the games that he played, 29 games. Made the all-star team, even in those 20. He must have been so good that even though he played less than half the season, uh, he still made the all-star team. So that tells you how elite he was playing. I don't know how this gets better for New Orleans at the moment. Dude is too big for his body. Too powerful. Too fat. I said it. I promised I would. But he is. And the Pelicans, to me, are in trouble. We've got CJ McCollum, who's got a thumb injury. That's probably going to require, at some point, surgery. You've got Brandon Ingram coming off of some sort of turf toe. He's been awesome. How long will that last? You've had guys like Herb Jones go down with injuries. B.I., like I said, missed four weeks before coming back. And now Zion is not back for at least four to six weeks more? That puts us at March, early April, right before the playoffs? Then you got to recondition? Let me ask you guys this. Do you think it's going to take Zion a week to recondition? Or do you think it's going to take him a long time to get in condition to play basketball when he hasn't been playing any basketball and he's probably just been, who knows? Who knows what he's been doing? I can't speculate. Uh, Very promising season might be in danger of getting away. That's all the time that we have for the Heat Check. Check back on Thursday. We're going to give you more episodes. I think we have an uh, an interview tonight with Kevin Ray, so we'll put that on the feed. He is the play-by-play commenter for the radio for the Phoenix Suns, so we're going to break down all of the Kevin Durant trade with him. Uh, Please follow the Heat Check as the season heads towards All-Star Weekend in Utah. And crazily enough, they thought they were going to have two All-Stars, the Utah Jazz, for the Utah All-Star Game, and they do not. Download, subscribe, tell all your friends. Every single one of them. Follow us on Heat Check on social at this Heat Check and at Trista Crick on TikTok because the Heat Check never sleeps even after the trade deadline. We'll see you next time. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss five days a week talking all things NBA. 
Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.